Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 152. Let's talk wearables. Hi, I'm Neil. Last time we talked, we went over my philosophy when it comes to quarterly earnings. It was episode 151, Apple's financial tug of war. If you didn't listen to that episode, I do think it serves as a good foundation for this episode. So maybe pause this episode, go back and listen to 151. Real quickly, what we did was talk about how Apple is facing this financial tug of war between the iPhone business and what we can call as the non-iPhone business. That's everything that's not iPhone. That dynamic was on display last week when Apple reported third quarter 2019 earnings. The company is essentially seeing flat revenue growth because iPhone declines are being offset by growth in every other product category. The thing is, there are a lot of different reactions to Apple's earnings. I saw more than a few people describe the results as the beginning of some sort of post-iPhone era at Apple. I said to myself, okay, I guess that sort of makes sense because you have the non-iPhone revenue exceeding iPhone revenue for the first time in seven years. But upon closer examination, I don't think that makes sense. I don't think we are seeing Apple only now entering some sort of post-iPhone era. What can explain this difference? I think it comes back to how people think about earnings. Some people looked at Apple's most recent earnings as just a snapshot, a three-month snapshot for how Apple's business performed between April and June. And maybe if you look at results in that way, and you see that the non-iPhone part of the business exceeded iPhone revenue, you would say, well, this is clearly a new era. This is the start of something different at Apple. But if you look at this most recent earnings report as just the latest snapshot in a string of snapshots going all the way back to, say, 2015, 2016, I think you would reach a very different conclusion. We're not seeing the start of an era. Instead, we are getting more evidence that we are firmly within an era that started at Apple years ago. And we are talking about the wearables era. But for those of you who are long time above Avalon listeners, readers, members, you know that we talk a lot about wearables. And there's a very simple and straightforward reason. I think wearables represent a paradigm shift in computing. I think wearables are the next big thing. If you're thinking of an ocean and you're saying, well, what's the next wave to ride? It's wearables. And you don't hear a lot of people say that. Instead, it's much more common to hear people say smart speakers represents that paradigm shift or voice assistants, artificial intelligence. I think it's wearables. Wearables are the item that is making technology more personal, which means it's more intuitive. It's easier to use. We are getting more out of technology without technology taking over our lives. This movement is not new. (laughs) 
it didn't just hit Apple that, oh my goodness, iPhone sales are going down. We need to do something. Let's focus on wearables. Apple's been pushing forward with wearables for years. We are talking about seven, almost eight years. Apple Watch development began in late 2011. And so when we look at Apple's most recent earnings, and we'll talk about some of the numbers in a few minutes, it's not that we're seeing the start of something. Instead, we're seeing the continuation of what has been unfolding for years. And this got me thinking about wearables. There are two items that consensus seems to be struggling with. And when I say consensus, I'm referring to Wall Street, tech companies, so you can include Silicon Valley, Washington State companies. There are two things people are struggling with. The first is admitting that wearables are actually a thing. There are still a lot of people out there who think wearables are nothing more than toys or accessories for more useful devices. The other thing that people are struggling with is admitting how Apple is the undisputed leader in wearables. There is no one close. And it's those two things that I really want to focus on in this episode. Because I think what's happening here is that Apple is not getting enough credit when it comes to wearables. This is a company that not only bet and bet big on the wearables wave, but they have played a major role in making wearables a thing. You don't see many people admit that. And I think this disconnect between consensus and really what we've been talking about, because again, for years, we've been saying wearables are a thing. I actually was going through my podcast archive, and there was actually an episode titled, Apple Wearables Are a Thing. It was published in May 2017. That disconnect between what we've been talking about for years and what consensus is struggling to even admit in 2019, I think it boils down to just a fundamental difference in how people think about technology, how people think about design's impact on technology. With that, let's jump a little bit into Apple's most recent earnings report. We're not going to go over the details, but there was a couple of things that jumped out at me. One item that I did after Apple reported was I took quarterly revenue growth and I split it into product categories. Overall, Apple's revenue was up $780 million year over year. And for this exercise, I'm not going to back out foreign currency impact. As a general rule, I don't like to back that out, especially when we're talking about a global company, because those types of swings are a normal part of doing business. So we had overall revenue increase by $780 million. What I wanted to do is see how was that growth distributed by product category? Said another way, what were the main revenue growth drivers last quarter? 
The thing is, this exercise is not practiced by many because we don't have Apple disclosing wearables revenue. It's not that you have to look at the financial statement and you get a nice little line item that has one number and you can use that to run all these calculations. It's a lot harder. One has to have a financial model that you can go back and look at year-over-year changes going, I would say, back to 2015, basically. And you have to have a close following of all of these Apple clues over the years. You have to essentially make a spreadsheet of everything Apple has said to gauge how have Apple Watch sales trended and how are AirPod sales going. You need to have estimates for unit sales, average selling prices. I have estimates for all those items. And to be honest, I have confidence in all of my estimates because they match every single clue that Apple has provided over the years. So the great thing is that gives me the opportunity to see how did wearables revenue grow year over year? And how does that compare to all of Apple's other product categories? When you do it, when you do the math, the conclusions are pretty shocking. Here are Apple's top revenue growth drivers last quarter. And again, this is not total revenue. This is just the change in revenue between the third quarter 2018 and the third quarter 2019, the year-over-year change. And we'll keep things in billions just to make things simple. So the top revenue growth driver last quarter, services, $1.5 billion. Wearables, $1.2 billion. Home and accessories, $0.6 billion. Mac, $0.6 billion. iPad, The takeaway from those numbers was that when looking at absolute dollars, wearables nearly exceeded services last quarter as Apple's top revenue growth generator. Historically, the third quarter and fourth quarter are the weakest for Apple wearables. You usually have Apple Watch and wireless earpods. They sell really well during the holidays. Meanwhile, services is more stable. You don't see as much seasonality. So for these numbers to play out in the third quarter, that's pretty remarkable. Consensus was not expecting this to occur. Listen to CNBC, read financial press. The story over the past year, maybe even two years, was that services was Apple's growth engine. It is clear that Consensus spent too much time on the services highway and ended up missing the exit for wearables. When you take a closer look at wearables revenue growth, Apple is benefiting from a few things. Both unit sales and average selling prices are up for Apple Watch and wireless AirPods. So we have Apple benefiting really from two tailwinds. It's not just that more people are buying these devices, but they're spending on average more per device. We had Apple increase Apple Watch pricing during the last upgrade cycle, and then we have the latest pair of wireless AirPods with wireless charging having a higher price. Of course, it really does help that when you look at AirPods in particular, unit sales growth really seems remarkable. It's spectacular. It's close to 80%. 
And it's not that that's totally surprising. When you go back to episode 141, Viral AirPods, there's a few reasons behind why AirPod sales have been so strong. This is a product that has become a cultural phenomenon. It's essentially gone viral socially. The entire dynamic really provides a number of lessons for what is going on here. And also, is there a possibility for Apple to capture some of that essence? Or maybe you can even call it some of that magic or secret sauce and then apply it to new wearable devices going forward. After analyzing the year-over-year change in revenue, my focus then turned to unit sales. And I didn't just look at wireless earpods, but I also added Apple Watch and some Beats units into the mix. And my goal was very simple. I wanted to get the share of Apple device unit sales that is going to wearables. In this week's article over at AboveAvalon.com, Exhibit 1 has wearable share of Apple device unit sales. Wearables now account for 20% of Apple's overall device unit sales. It's another way of saying that one out of five gadgets that Apple sells is now a wearables device. Back in 2018, it was under 15% share. 2017, it was under 10%. 2016, it was under 5%. So you are seeing steady growth going from essentially around 3 to 4% in 2016 to 20% in 2019. That's a pretty significant movement. And this is prime evidence for how the wearables era did not just suddenly start at Apple. And so what's happening is some people are waking up to Apple wearables for the first time. I did want to point out that in this week's article, Exhibit 2 depicts wearables growing share of gadget sales relative to Apple's other product categories. This is one of my favorite charts when it comes to analyzing Apple's business. I went back to 1997 and I took all of the unit sales for Apple's various product categories. And you could very clearly see how there was a iPod revolution beginning, really it started to take off right around 2005, 2006. It peaked in the late 2000s and now iPod is essentially a rounding error. You could also see how the iPhone experienced quite a bit of growth in early 2000s. And now you're starting to see unit sales plateau a little bit. And of course, you see wearables. That portion of the bar is getting, I have it shaded orange. Uh, There's more orange as each year goes by. That is a great way of visualizing how wearables is becoming a larger force within Apple. Just to put a little bit more context around that statement, when you look at revenue, Apple's wearables business is now at a $16 billion annual run rate, and that is growing at 55 to 60%. So if you keep that current pace, wearables will surpass both the iPad and Mac near the end of 2020 to become the third largest product category behind iPhone and services when looking at revenue. So we have evidence that people are buying wearable devices. There's a couple questions though. Why? Why is Apple seeing so much success with wearables? And more importantly, what about the competition? 
Is there a way for companies to respond to what is shaping up to be an Apple wearable tsunami? One way of thinking about Apple's wearables business is that it's a train gaining momentum. Competitors face declining odds of being able to stop the train. And this is why it is so remarkable that a year goes by and there is really no change in the competitive landscape. I think it was interesting back in 2017 that there was no competitive answer to Apple Watch. Then 2018 concluded there was no change. We are halfway through 2019. There's no change. This is getting to the point where as every year goes by, it is going to become that much harder for a competitor to respond to what is unfolding with Apple and wearables. I don't think a lot of people have connected the dots there. The Apple wearables train is boosted by three items that no other company has the luxury of utilizing or leveraging. The first, a massive install base of iPhone users. For Apple, it stands out about 925 million people around the world. The second item, core competencies in a company culture built on making technology more personal, intuitive, and easy to use. The third item, a thriving platform of multiple wearables products. It's not enough just to have one device. Let's go into each one of those reasons in a little bit more detail. Apple is leveraging its ecosystem of users and devices to give its wearables business an ideal launching pad for success. Yes, there are a handful of companies out there with more than a billion users. However, no other company has an ecosystem of a billion users and nearly 1.5 billion devices. And those just aren't any devices but nearly 90% of those devices are running the latest software. To see why this matters, we can take a look at Fitbit. The company is in trouble. I talked about this in the daily update that I sent to members yesterday. The latest results were a mess. <laughs> There's been a number of messy quarters, but things are just really getting bad. And it's time where you have to really start asking the difficult questions. Fitbit's problem is that it lacks a self-sustaining ecosystem. When they come out with new products, they just don't have enough people buying them. Now, of course, there's a lot of nuance there. They don't have the technology. They don't have the coolness. They don't have the brand power. But at the end of the day, they just don't have the ecosystem. So when you look at something like the Fitbit Versa smartwatch, it just can't get the traction that it needs. There is then design, an item that I think is directly connected with wearables. Design, or the lack thereof, is proving to be another high barrier for many companies to get over in terms of wearables. Silicon Valley continues to focus too much on technology and not enough on design, which is just another way of saying how we actually use technology. A prime example of this is with Google. Google's lack of success 
when it comes to wearables is partially due to the company not having a clue as to how to get people to wear wearable devices. Management thought consumers wanted to wear Pixel earbuds because the devices had real-time translation. I recall at the time how the tech press went crazy over this product. A lot of people were saying how this is a prime example of how Google's data stance and their expertise in artificial intelligence or their advantage in artificial intelligence is giving them a competitive edge over Apple for wearables. So notice how this dynamic unfolded. You had management thinking that tech is going to drive people to wear this device, tech in terms of real-time translation. In reality, consumers don't want to be seen in public wearing wireless headphones that don't reflect aspiration and coolness. Just take a look at why AirPods are going viral. Technology is not enough. Instead, you have to know how to play in the luxury and fashion realms while simultaneously appealing to the mass market. It's a very tricky proposition, but it's something Apple has been learning about for years. For competitors, the bad news is that there is evidence that Apple is still applying some brakes to its wearables train. This is not an out-of-control train that is one curve away from going off the rails. In some ways, Apple is actually holding things back. We can look at Apple Watch. An iPhone is still required to set up an Apple Watch. So when you think about a truly independent Apple Watch that doesn't require an iPhone, that device would grow the device's addressable market by three times overnight. And I do think we are going to eventually see that device. I don't think an Apple Watch will forever be chained to an iPhone. There is an even broader example here. Apple is only offering wearables for two pieces of real estate on the body, our wrist and ears. The most prized piece of wearables real estate remains untapped. And that is our eyes. Competitively, I struggle to see who can have the best shot of competing with Apple when it comes to wearables. I think it's inevitable that we're going to see something from Google. We're going to see some kind of response. Granted, I've been saying that now for a year, two years, and we're still waiting and waiting. This is a company that just doesn't seem to have any interest whatsoever in wearables. There's Amazon. I would be shocked if we don't see something like an Alexa smartwatch. And I do think such a device would be a prime example of how stationary smart speakers have an inherent limitation. And that is when you have a wearable device that's always on you all day, every day, it is inherently more valuable than having a stationary speaker and microphone in your home. There's just no question about that. The problem for Amazon is that there is a difference between selling a stationary smart speaker that really isn't anything special for the price of a gourmet pizza and a wearable device that people are going to be seen in public wearing. That's a lot harder to sell if you're Amazon or if you're Google. We could look at Fitbit. Again, as we said a couple minutes ago, this is a company that I just don't see having what it takes to compete with Apple. 
We can look outside the U.S., China, India, emerging markets. Are we going to see a local company try to develop this same kind of ecosystem of devices? Well, that's been the narrative a lot of people have been pushing for years. And so far, a lot of what we've been seeing is just low-priced gadgets that, in my opinion, just really aren't in the same playing field as an Apple Watch or wireless AirPods. The thing to keep in mind is for Apple to have a dominant position wearables, it's not that the company needs 100% market share. That's not realistic. The iPod at its peak had about 70% market share. The issue is that remaining portion of the wearables market, I just don't think it's going to be competitive. You're not going to see Apple users leave the ecosystem for these competing devices. And instead, I think it's going to be much more likely that Apple can use its wearable devices to grow the ecosystem, especially in emerging markets. When it comes to recognizing how Apple has built such a lead in the wearables market, I do think the company deserves more credit. I don't think you see consensus truly recognizing what Apple has been able to do. But I think there is also another issue that consensus has been struggling with, and that is admitting that wearables are even a thing. I see some people say, well, yeah, Apple is doing great in wearables. I see a lot of Apple Watches out in public, a lot of wireless AirPods out in public. Good for Apple. But, that's that's usually what they do. But, and then they go off into this thing about wearables really aren't that important. They're not going to amount to a whole lot. And of course, I disagree with that completely. And I think what ends up happening is that wearables as a category have been flying under the radar. They've been receiving very little attention to date. And I think one reason is that they are constantly compared to smartphones. There is this preoccupation with trying to find a singular product capable of replacing a smartphone. The problem is that by looking for just one product to be that quote-unquote replacement, people are ignoring how a platform of wearable devices is the answer for what can eventually serve as a viable smartphone alternative. And again, for close listeners, I do think there's a big difference between replacement and alternative. (laughs) A cellular Apple Watch paired with wireless AirPods is already able to handle a number of tasks currently given to the iPhone. Add a pair of smart glasses to the mix. I think mobile devices like iPhones, iPads, they stand to lose even more use cases. This is why I think wearables represent a paradigm shift. We are going to get to the point where an iPhone and an iPad are going to almost feel like today's laptop and desktop. Sure, we're going to use those devices for certain use cases. There's no question about that. 
However, a collection of wearable devices are going to handle a shockingly high number of use cases that we currently give to the iPhone and iPad. And more importantly, they're going to handle completely new use cases and workflows. That vision was probably very difficult to see when it was just an Apple Watch. But when Apple began selling an Apple Watch with wireless AirPods, I do think you started to see people say, okay, I... I'm starting to see where this can go. And when Apple sells a pair of smart glasses, along with an Apple Watch and wireless earpods, I think you're going to have more people go, okay, yeah, now I see what, what, what's going on here. Each wearable device ends up gaining usefulness and utility by the presence of other wearable devices. In essence, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That's the secret to wearables. And that's one reason why ecosystems are crucial when thinking about wearables. It's not going to be enough just to come out and compete with Apple Watch. A company is going to have to compete against Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, Apple Glasses. They're going to have to compete against all three at the same time. How are companies like Amazon and Google realistically going to do that? Looking ahead, Apple is well on its way to having Apple Watch and wireless AirPods install bases of 100 million people each. The company is more than halfway there with Apple Watch and is quickly approaching the same level with AirPods, despite the product being sold for half the time. Apple also finds itself in the middle of a major investment phase to expand its wearables platform. R&D expense continues to go through the roof. And again, there's a number of reasons for that. It's not all just wearables, but there is no question that Apple sees there is a very big opportunity to bring more utility, in addition to clearer vision, to the eyes. And of course, we are talking about smart glasses. And such a product would be a precursor to a pair of augmented reality glasses. When you combine everything that Apple's been able to achieve with wearables and you then take a look at where Apple's headed in terms of ramping R&D and hiring a lot of talented people, especially in fields that Apple has traditionally had little to no experience or exposure in, the case can be made that Apple's wearable strength continues to be underestimated. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in this podcast episode and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com and you want more of it throughout the week, I do think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of membership is access to my exclusive daily email all about Apple. These emails are called Daily Updates. Each update's about 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. Just to give you a quick taste of some of the topics that I talk about in the daily updates, in the past week alone, I went over Apple Card launching the U.S. So I went over my thoughts on, is Apple Card disruptive? I also discuss Apple Pay adoption in the U.S. from the point of view of retailer adoption or acceptance. And so we took a look at the percentage of retailers who still aren't accepting Apple Pay, and then seeing that there are some common characteristics out there. We actually are able to break that percentage into three main groups, and then we could assess, are there tailwinds here that point to greater retailer acceptance over time for Apple Pay? 
One daily update was dedicated to China allowing its currency to depreciate. So we went over my full thoughts on the issue. How does it impact Apple? What's going on in terms of Apple stock price? There's a whole lot of volatility. I also discussed the U.S. looking to impose new Chinese tariffs. So I went over the potential impact of those tariffs and Apple. And then I went over some earnings, Fitbit, Spotify, Disney. Each one of those companies are Apple competitors. And I do think there is value in taking a look at what's going on with each company, seeing the trends, seeing the developments. In some cases for Fitbit, the results were not pretty. And so I went over what I think is going on here. What, what do I see as the future for Fitbit and also even for Spotify, which I think there are a lot of questions to ask about the company's sustainability. So you can see the daily updates cover a pretty wide variety of topics. In essence, if it is of interest to Apple, it is something that I talk about in the daily updates. To receive these daily updates directly in your inbox throughout the week, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. So head on over to aboveavalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Once on the membership page, you can also see all of the other privileges and benefits that are found with membership at no additional costs. Those include access to Above Avalon reports, my earnings model, priority email access. There is an archive, so you could go back and read daily updates and reports previously sent to members. There's also a form, so you can chat with other Above Avalon members. In addition, there are also answers to all of the questions that I've received about membership. So really, any question that you may have, there very likely is an answer on the membership page. Of course, you could always email me as well if you have any questions. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So for those of you who are already Above Avalon members, thank you for your support. And if you are thinking about or planning to become an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. Last but certainly not least, if you enjoy the Above Avalon podcast, if you can leave a quick review or rating for the podcast, in the Apple Podcasts app, I would greatly appreciate it. Just go to the Above Avalon page within the app and then scroll somewhat all the way down and you'll see an area to leave a rating or a review. That does help spread the word of mouth. And of course, thank you to those of you who let others know about the Above Avalon podcast. I do appreciate it. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.